Hey there, and welcome to Taiwan Talk, where we share the stories of people living in Taiwan. I'm Trevor Tordomasi, and joining me in the studio today is Alex Kunz, a leading researcher of microplastics in Taiwan. Alex, welcome to the show. Oh, hello. So I guess we'll get started uh, with the most straightforward question. Can you tell us more about your work and research in microplastics? Yes. So uh, currently, I'm working mostly on rivers in Taiwan, so on the microplastic pollution in the rivers. And we did some studies in the Tanshui River here in Taipei, but also in the Wu River in Taichung. And I also have worked a lot on the beaches in northern Taiwan. Actually, this is where I started with my research. And uh, I'm also working together with NGOs. So we had a big project with Greenpeace, where we have studied the microplastic and animal feces. From wildlife. To see where all the microplastics are going. If they yeah. actually even have. So in that mm. project with Greenpeace, they were looking at um, endangered species in remote areas of Taiwan, like from the high mountains, for example, the, the uh, Taiwan bear. They collected the uh, feces and then we checked if their microplastic is inside. Wow. It seems like it's already pretty tough just to find the bears. Well, in that case, they work together with biologists and, and uh, other experts. Mm. They know where the bear is, so it was... Mm. So specifically, river, many rivers in Taiwan. Uh, I noticed that you had written one paper, especially on the Tamsui River. Um, and what findings have you found that differed throughout Taiwan? So, so far, we only have Tamsui River and the tributaries, like Jilong mm -hmm. River, Xinjiang, and Dan River, uh, and Wu River in Taichung. This will be published hopefully soon. I mean, so far, we find always microplastic in the river. So it's not that there are some clean spots. It's always something depending where you look. So for example, in city areas, you have very high concentrations in remote areas less. And it also depends a little bit um, if you just had rainfall or not of the dry season. During rainfall, we have more microplastic in the rivers than during dry seasons. Is that because things get washed into the river? From yes, okay. yes, right. Uh, a lot of microplastic is actually produced on land just to do some industry processes or even people just cutting something, releasing microplastic particles. They often go just in the drain and then they're flushed into rivers. Mm. Or just from the street, the stuff goes into the rivers. So this is where we tend to find the biggest buildups of microplastics is in the rivers. Um, so far, what we know, there are basically two spots where you have a lot. I mean, rivers are one hotspot, and mm -hmm. then the oceans or the coastlines. At is, least what we know now, because we... Because those are the easiest spots to research too, is, is that it? Yeah, I mean, for us, it was easier than, uh, because it's easy, relatively easy to access. Um, if you want to study on land, it's a big area, so you have to cover large areas to mm. do, do this kind of research. And so where are all these microplastics coming from? I think some of the answers might be obvious, but have you found anything new or interesting that you might think people might not know? Yeah, I mean, the most interesting thing is that we see that the microplastic already comes directly from the land. So in the past, we assumed that it's like breaking down from big pieces. So mm. like people throw away something, it stays in the nature for a while, it's weathering, it's breaking down into smaller pieces. But it seems that there are some processes already that really create microplastic. So it's not like a secondary thing, it's already primary. Just from trash, from garbage or? Yeah, so for example, if you open plastic packing, mm. it can happen that there are small particles released and falling down, you, you wipe them off maybe and then flush them down. From washing the clothes can release microplastic because most clothes now are synthetic fibers. Wow. So when you wash, I mean, if you check your, your dryer or your washing machine once in a while, you will see a buildup of fibers and most of them are plastic fibers actually. Mm. Um, or if you buy some like, like fruits that come in this net, 
And if you look closely, these yeah. nets, they are shedding fibers like crazy. Even when you grab them, you already have some fibers on your hand, and these are all plastic fibers, so they are just easily released everywhere. And it's not really clear where exactly it comes from, because um, especially East Asia is pollution hotspot. So most East Asian countries are dumping tons of plastic waste into the ocean and it's just traveling through the ocean. And the situation around Taiwan is that Taiwan is located at some main ocean currents, so they will carry a lot of trash passed mm. by Taiwan and then it's washed up at the beaches here. I don't want to blame a specific country right, right now. Right, right. It's tough without, um, without research. But. Because everybody's contributing, so it's not like one mm. country's. Yeah, we don't have to assign blame. I think also if we assign blame to one person, then that makes the other person feel like it's not their problem, but it's yeah. everyone's problem. Yeah, I mean, everybody's contributing to that. Mm. And it's just accumulating, so that's... So, what are the biggest effects of this microplastic pollution on our everyday lives? Um, so far, we actually don't really know what the effect is. I mean, one thing is we know that it's basically everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's in the environment everywhere. It's in the air. It's even in food. So, for example, in seafood and sea salt. Basically, every kind of sea salt is contaminated with microplastic. But we don't really know what's happening inside human bodies. So there are studies that show that we are eating it. We are it kind of pass through our bodies, but we don't know what's actually happening. There are some research with animals. Um, they show that microplastic can actually cause uh, inflammation because it can go into the tissue or chemicals that are in the plastic particles. They, they can be released and the organism will take it up. And do we have a sort of a picture of how much microplastics we are consuming on a, on a regular basis? Um, there is, a while ago, there was something they said like, Per year, we are eating something like the size of a credit card. But I am not sure if this is really true because it strongly depends on your lifestyle, what you are eating, where you live. So, for example, in a city, you have more risk of ingesting microplastic. Uh, if you live in a countryside, it's less because it's just cleaner there. Mm. Also, when you eat a lot of seafood, you have a higher risk for microplastic consumption. Mm. If you eat no seafood, then it's lower. So, it's a bit it's difficult to say how much it's actually. But for sure, we are eating some particles. It's getting into us and stuff like that. You said there are some studies about like the health effects and stuff, but we're still mm -hmm. not quite sure. What direction do you see these studies moving in next now that we know how much the microplastics are leaving our society and getting back into our society in different forms? Mm. Um, where is the research pointing next? I mean, one direction is to figure out where the real sources are, what's really happening, where the microplastic is produced. Mm. So far, we know just roughly it comes from land, it comes from factories, but we still cannot really pinpoint the exact source, so that would help to stop it, actually. Uh, yeah, and then the other thing is the health effects. So it's really not clear what kind of effect or negative impact microplastic can have on human health. So that's the completely open question. Okay, well, I was reading uh, about your past research and your education, and it says you began traditional education as a quaternary geologist, uh, which focuses on the most recent 2.6 million years or so of Earth's geology. And then you moved into projects uh, relating to landscape evolution and paleoclimate, um, which studies the climates of Earth over uh, many, many millions of years. So uh, what knowledge have you gained from all these studies that has sort of stayed with you? Or what maybe paradigm shifts have remained the most relevant from those years of your education? I mean, one thing is just simply the basic uh, understanding of uh, processes that happen in, in, on Earth. So as a geologist, you learn a lot about different processes, how things are forming on Earth. I mean, like like landscapes are forming. Um, but also, I think the, the main thing what I probably learned is that nothing stays the same. 
So mm. especially when you're dealing with Earth history or also with climate, you know that everything is constantly changing. Even if it looks like it has never changed before, it has changed. I think that's maybe that's also for us or for geoscience, it's relatively easy to understand this concept of climate change. Mm. Because we are dealing with the past climate, we know it's changing. We know it will change, but you see all the discussion about climate change and lots of people still kind of not really accepting. I feel like we might be more fortunate in Taiwan that there aren't as many uh, climate deniers, so to speak. Quotes on that. But yeah, um, understanding uh, climate change, its inevitability, but also how we can impact it and how mm -hmm. we can stop it from changing too fast mm -hmm. is important. Um, how did you transition from all of this past education into studying uh, microplastics uh, specifically? Um, that happened actually here in Taiwan. So I was working on projects related to beaches, and that was actually the first time I noticed this pollution on the beach here. And at that time, I also read some articles about microplastics. So it was just a topic coming up. And I was looking around on the beach and I could also see these plastic particles. And I was actually quite interested to know how was the situation about that in Taiwan. Because there was already a lot of research in Europe and North America, but I couldn't find anything about Taiwan. Or in general, Asia was not really well researched at that time. And so I just started out of curiosity my own research. Mm. And then it evolved more and more into the microplastic research. So when you're studying this pollution and, and different buildup rates, what kind of technology are you using? Are you working in the lab? Are you working um, in the field? Or Yeah, we do both. Uh, so we go to the field to take the samples. So for the river samples, for example, we use a net. We just scoop basically through the water and get the sample out. In the lab, we need to clean it up to remove all unwanted particles. So like there's often a lot of other stuff in the river. like Just tree. regular sediment or? Yeah, or oh. leaves or trees or mm. something organic. So we just need to clean it out. And then we check the remaining stuff. We have some different methods to see if it's plastic or not. And then we count the particles and then it's done. Um, what is the most difficult aspect of your research so far? Actually, there were quite a couple of challenges because what I did was relatively new here in Taiwan. So to find access to certain devices to like like a Raman spectrometers or FTIR spectrometers to do the analysis of to, to see if the material is plastic or not. Uh, I think that's always a bit challenging. Then, of course, every time challenging is to take the sample because each place is different. So you need to adapt for the location. We also have to come up with methods how to take samples and sometimes you also have getting trouble just um, like you want to take samples somewhere and it's just not working because you can't access the area or mm. access is denied completely you're not allowed to do something there so these are also some you haven't felt any pushback from officials or, or, or governments uh, uh, in your collecting of, of data we you, had once a little bit strange situation so we joined a bigger research group from Academia Sinica and they were working in uh, different reservoirs Reservoirs in Taiwan. I don't name, tell the name of the reservoir don't, to get in trouble. Um, okay. So many scientists are doing different studies and they, and they kind of invited us. Oh, you want to join us and you can take samples there and check if there's microplastic. And we did some tests and we actually found something. And we wanted to do a little bit bigger thing because that research group was only on one area, but we wanted to study the whole thing. So and then we came up with a research plan and suggested this to the authorities. And when they figured out what we actually want to do, they said no. Okay. You are not allowed to do that because they don't want to get anything involved with environmental pollution, which I find a little bit strange because we are actually not there to expose them. We just wanted to see what's going on, uh, but they denied completely that access to that area. And So, I mean, I guess that transitions into the, my next question, which is I, I understand that a lot of changes in, in improving the situation, less pollution, should come from people, recycling and stuff. But what changes to society's uh, manufacturing or plastic consumption 
consumption habits would you like to see first? I mean, in general, the use of single-use plastic should be reduced. Mm. Well, in general, the, the amount of plastic that we are using needs to be reduced. You need to look where it's necessary. I mean, sometimes it's necessary to use something with plastic, but often you can have an alternative, which is more environmental friendly. But I think the politics needs to push harder mm. into this. I mean, there have been these attempts of plastic ban, but it's kind of not very effective, I have the feeling. Uh, right. Mean, There's like the I save mean, 5NT by bringing in your own cups to Starbucks and stuff. I feel like these are good first. It's good that we're taking a first step, but I, I, I also agree that we could be trying yeah, a lot so, harder. I mean, the plastic bag ban apparently in Taiwan, I don't mm -hmm. feel it much, <laughs> to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. If you go to a wet market, you still come back with thousands of plastic bags. Uh, also, bakeries still put everything in a plastic bag. I know when I go in Germany to a bakery, I get stuff in a paper bag. Mm -hmm. I mean, was always like that. I don't know why they can't use a paper bag here. There are often these things where you just need to offer an alternative. I think people will just take it. I, I mean, I don't really care if I have a plastic cup or a paper cup. But if I have the choice, then I can decide which one I take. And often this choice is missing. You're just left with the plastic. Um, and I think the, the politics must push harder, also give incentive for the industry to offer alternatives. So when this discussion came up in many countries about banning plastic, I'm actually not the big fan of this idea because a ban always produces some illegal activities because, mm. you know, people always want to work around. Uh, I find it more useful to have something like a plastic tax because one problem with plastic is that it's so cheap to manufacture that everybody will make plastic and sell it because it's so cheap and you, the paper version or another version would be much more expensive. But if mm. you make plastic the same price like an alternative, environmental friendly alternative, then the consumer has the choice to um, which product you will take. Yeah, I, Right now you grab the cheaper one. If you have the choice of water in a plastic bottle or on a glass bottle, let's say glass bottle costs 50 NT, plastic bottle 20 NT. Which one you buy? Probably the 20 NT bottle. But if both 50, then you can decide, oh, what will I do? If... Uh, yeah, exactly. Glass I, or plastic. So I, I think there must be kind of push from the politics, but industry needs to work harder, but also the consumer needs to demand more alternatives, actually. Right. Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us in the studio today, Alex. Yeah, thank you. And thanks to you, the listener. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can listen to full-length episodes of Taiwan Talk, wherever you normally find podcasts, and you can help us out by telling a friend. Anyway, that's it for this episode of Taiwan Talk. Until next time, I'm Trevor Tortomasi on ICRT FM 100. If you'd like to hear more from ICRT, you can check out our other podcasts. We've got Taiwan This Week, a roundup of the news in Taiwan every Friday, English in the News, for useful English expressions explained in Chinese, and EZ News, spelled with the letters E and Z, for simplified daily news. For some lighter news in both English and Chinese, check out News Bites and News for Kids. And if you enjoy them, tell a friend. Thanks for listening.